channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on November 18th, 2022, and is current through the Star Trek Prodigy episode Crossroads, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. There may be a few less live events than we were thinking. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from lots of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest and co-host of the Shore Leave podcast. It's Marina Kravchuk. Marina, welcome back to Weekly Track. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me back. This is exciting. It's been a while. It has been a little <laughs> while, but hey, it was it's a big week for convention news and not all of it good. So there was nobody else that I wanted to talk about it with. Well, before we get to that, though, because there's plenty negative for us to talk about this week. But before we do that. You know the drill. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Do you know something? I find myself in a limbo at the moment. And I yep. don't know if it's because we had a pretty intense year this year in terms of like events and, and stuff coming out and all the announcements and the teasers and the Star Trek day and you name it. And I kind of like I arrived to the end of the year with a sort of like, you know, the screeching halt of the breaks where I'm like, you know what? I actually need to stop and like not do anything for a yep. moment. Sure. So I am sort of, I can't really offer anything except to like say that I'm very hopeful for next year because we do have plenty of things to look forward to next year. So I'm kind of taking stock at the moment, you know, and we will speak about certain things uh-huh. in a little while. Yeah, so, we will. Said, so right now, like I can't say that I'm super excited about any one particular thing. I'm just generally like, I'm rereading my favorite fan fiction. This yeah. like comfort food. Oh, I love that. But that's probably it. And I'm looking forward probably like as far as like sort of any kind of shape of long-term goals, I suppose I'm looking forward to Star Trek Cruise. But at the moment, I'm sort of in limbo. Yeah, that's a good, good summary. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty, yeah, that sounds pretty similar to how I'm feeling at the moment too. Uh, in addition to being extremely furious and upset. Um, again, we will get to that momentarily. So let me tell you something that I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week, which I am actually feeling good about, and that is Trek Unlimited have released their latest like cool little Star Trek homeware item, and it's one that's like hits the real sweet spot for me. And this is a set of Starfleet-themed storage crates, which sounds like... It's like, really, Alex, you're you're getting all excited about a set of Starfleet-themed storage crates? And it's like, hell yeah, I am. First of all, I'm a Star Trek fan, which means that I have way too much stuff. There's so much stuff in this room. There's so much stuff in my basement. It's all in boxes, all in various different kinds of boxes. And now, how cool is it that I get to put them in a Starfleet-themed box? There's two different kinds. You can get original series-themed, or you can get next-generation-themed. I ordered a set of each of them, because, of course, I'm crazy like that. And they're collapsible, and they ship really fast. I I ordered mine on Wednesday. It arrived today. It's Friday. So, like, it's great. And they're not going in the basement. Those ones are going to hold some stuff up in in my room and in my office, where I just have like too much stuff hanging out that I need something to put it in. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about this. It's one of the first new products we've gotten from Trek Unlimited in a little while. I know that there's a lot more coming. Other new products have been teased. So it's like a really cool, like, hello again from Trek Unlimited and looking forward to more of the same because the work they do is really, really great. Yeah, Star Star Trek Unlimited is the best. John John just just has the best things out there and it's 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 super excited I'm, I'm actually curious because he kind of hinted that there's more stuff coming and i was like i want to see <laughs> yeah well, i guess he teased on twitter like yes. yeah like a vasquez rocks oh yes and i've actually i've seen that he, he brought a prototype to yeah uh one of the conventions and it was like that's pretty neat i love like, it yeah just like something to put in your garden it's terrific yeah and then of course you can get like like miniature gourd and just yep. you know, do like a little <laughs> <laughs> have a great time <laughs> All right, well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. 
Well, after months of silence about next year's official Star Trek convention, Star Trek Mission Seattle, and we have covered the silence on this show in extensive detail, convention organizer Reed Pop has both shocked and disappointed Star Trek fans this week with their announcement that the convention will actually not be happening. After careful consideration, the decision has been made to not move forward with the Star Trek Mission Seattle event in 2023, the brief and mealy-mouthed statement from Reed Pop said, We are working on new ways to bring our favorite Trek fans the optimum experience, and we look forward to celebrating together again in the future, whatever that means. What I know that isn't is a promise that there will be future Star Trek mission conventions. Reed Pop, who picked up the license for official Star Trek conventions from Creation Entertainment and launched what was to have been a series of annual Star Trek conventions uh, beginning this year in Chicago, moving to Seattle next year, and then moving to other cities around the United States in future years, apparently seem to have concluded that they can't successfully pull off two official Star Trek conventions in a row. What a travesty. Say what you want about Creation Entertainment, the previous license holder, and there is much you can say, but I attended every official Star Trek convention they held between 2011 and 2019, and there was never any doubt that the convention was going to go ahead, and the official convention had been running for a number of years before I even got into the game. Read Pop, on the other hand failed to get past the first convention. Star Trek Mission Chicago's success and the excitement that was meant to propel us into Seattle apparently didn't last longer than six months. What an absolute shambles, a slap in the face to Star Trek fandom, and a stain on both Paramount and Reed Pop that they weren't able to get this figured out. Ultimately, we don't know why Mission Seattle is not happening. Neither Reed Pop nor Paramount have given any explanation. But a pox on everybody's house when a Star Trek convention, a Star Trek convention, fandom's original live event that has been a bedrock of the Star Trek community for decades, apparently isn't possible with the support of supposedly one of the world's biggest and best event organizers, and supposedly one of the world's biggest entertainment conglomerates. Both of the corporations have absolutely bathed themselves in valor in this particular sorry affair. So as things stand, there will be no official Star Trek convention in 2023 on dry land, and Star Trek fans deserve much better than that. Marina, what was your reaction to the cancellation of Star Trek Mission Seattle? Well, it's the word that that has been repeated multiple times that I've seen so far by our fellow podcasters and by various online commentators and that's disappointed in every probably every shade that you can add to that word simply because well as you said you know of all the things that you know we've experienced seeing how the conventions have become so mainstream regardless you know whether we're talking single franchise like Gallifrey right. or Star Trek conventions or we're talking the monsters like San Diego and uh, New York Comic Con you know it seems almost preposterous that yes yes there are most definitely a whole lot of things still dragging from pandemic years that's a fact and then we can still see effects in quite a few conventions but regardless you know we, we can probably talk until you know, the Tribbles hatch, why exactly they decided not to do it. But it just seems a bit, God, what's the word? Yeah, disappointed. I'm just disappointed that this has come to this. And the thing is that I'm the person who always very much, you know, glass half full type. You know, I can sure. see, you know, all the, you know, yes, buts, so to speak. But in this case, it, it seems like, well, my first thought was, well, you know, our little peanut of a convention. You compare to everything else that Reed Pop has in its lineup, and it seems almost like, well, of course they would ignore us. And it is a yeah. slap in the face to the fandom, right. but, the, you know, Star Trek has always been sort of like a thing apart. You know, Comic-Con stuff just does not work on it, evidently, because, you know, yes, Chicago was sort of the first in a row, but technically it was the second mission convention. We already had New York back in 2016 right. for the 50th anniversary. So, you know, obviously something has to become up customized to kind of fit the way the fan base expects it, the way the fans work, the way it fits the franchise with all our multiple productions out there right now. And yeah, it just, it, it boggles the mind that, you know, if they decided, okay, we really, we can't fit it into between Florida Supercon and Emerald City Comic Con and C2E2 and all these huge, huge events that they're dealing with through the year, which I'm sure is an extraordinary stress and, and burden. But <laughs> say something, because the right. original promise, if memory serves, was that we would hear something by June. Tickets were supposed to go on sale in June of this yeah, year. Yeah, and nothing happened. And then there was nothing in terms of even like, well, just say when, you know, like not give us information. Tell us when you're actually going to give us, you know, expect right. something by end of summer, you know, yep. something like that. There was complete and utter silence and, you know, nothing online, nothing 
nothing through customer service until we kind of get to the point of, okay, we're already in the fall. And of course, in the fall, nobody's going to reply about questions about Star Trek convention because you know New York Comic Con is happening. It's the tentpole event of the second half of the year in the world. So <laughs> again, who's going to care about our little convention? And then, yeah, until you kind of push and shove and then somebody accidentally spills the bins, which is what you know it came across as that re- final reply, somewhat oddly phrased from the customer service mm-hmm. where everybody just kind of shakes their hand and throws their hands in the air and kind of says, well, if that was the decision probably months ago, how come nobody bothered to just put some sort of statement and just say, sorry, you know, like we were working on it or, or something instead of making it literally a slap in the face yeah. to every, you know, convention going fan out there. I mean, the part that really gets me is we kind of forced them into this, right? I don't want to take credit for it happening this week. Yeah, because... you weren't the first one to contact them. I, that's, right. that's the thing is that there was just complete silence until, I don't know, maybe that particular Joey quotation marks yeah. just didn't know that he was supposed to keep mom. Right. Chances are. Yeah, I was just annoyed Sunday afternoon and I decided I wanted to fire off an email to some kind of read pop customer service. And I was like, there must have been an email address associated with Mission Chicago. So I'm going to search through my emails and I found the email and I just sent an email saying, people are saying on Twitter, they are hearing rumors that this is going to get canceled. Like, can you give us any information? And yeah, I got the kind of weird response back from customer service, basically saying it's not happening. And then I thought about like, well, you know, so Trekcore immediately reached out for comment, like, hey, we've gotten this. And I was like, well, do I wait for official comment or do I just let people know? And I'm like, no, people have waited long enough, right? Like it's six months until this thing but is happening. And this is something, the first. Here's, yes, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but the thing is that a lot of people who are either vendors or, you know, folks on the other side of the table who are involved yeah. in this, who obviously had to have some sort of connections, finding out the information, tables, what have you, they haven't heard anything from them either. Right. That's the thing. So it's like, it's one thing, like fans reaching out to customer service and being summarily ignored. It's quite something else when you have somebody who would be, you know, a licensed dealer at the convention saying, you know, I haven't heard anything in a while. Right. And what's more, the event apparently is not even the convention center's schedule, by the way. So yeah, it all kind of accumulated to a point where it's very hard to kind of well, not not to have positive outlook. I mean, I have a couple of thoughts on like why exactly they decided not to do it. And chances are, yeah, if they are keeping the license, maybe they will come up with something. Maybe right. it's not going to be conventions. Maybe it will be like pop-ups. Maybe we will become sort of a as an uh, official entity. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we have enough fan-run conventions out there still, so unofficial ones. But the official thing may become like some sort of like an adjunct to whatever big Comic-Con du jour, such as New York Comic-Con or maybe Denver, maybe what have you. But, you know, so I'm still kind of hopeful that something will come out of it or that we at least get some sort of further output trying to explain what happened. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? This 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 half a year silence is just a little bit damning. Yeah, like how do you come back from this, right? Like if you're Reed Pop, you know, and like I left Mission Chicago fully in the tank for Reed Pop. I was like, this yes, it was the first one, and yes, there were growing pains, and yes, there were things that people didn't like about it. But I came away from it being like, hey, for a Reed Pop event, you know, which I've been to a couple of, and I was at Mission New York, and you know, I was like, this was cool. I really liked this, right? Like this was fun. It was at a good time of year. It was a good event. There were decent number of like exclusives and little trailers and teases and cool panels and they got decent talent from the shows and so i came away from that feeling like i'm ready to wash my hands of creation entertainment and move on to repot right i'm ready to be a, a champion for the star trek mission conventions right like i'm ready to be a mission convention super fan and like i'm totally gutted and turned off by this experience which means that if i feel that way as the guy who came out you know, ready to be a shill for them. Like, how can they repair it from here, right? Let's say they were to decide they wanted to do another mission convention in 2024. Well, first of all, you you haven't said that at this point, right? Like, it's not yeah. like they said, uh, really sorry, 2023 is cancelled. Uh, we're going to bring you information about the next mission convention as soon as we can, right? No, all they do is talk in, like, roundabout terms about potentially finding some other way for us to meet together down the line, right? Like, how is anybody going to be interested in any kind of official Star Trek event that Reed Pop wants to do when they couldn't even put together the second Star Trek convention? They handled it so badly, and they ended up having to cancel it. Yeah. Well, I'm not exactly in a category like this, you know, switching from, you know, I've, I've done enough conventions where I can see pluses, minuses of every single host, and you kind of, like, adjust yourself to whatever the parameters of a given convention, and you kind of run with it. Creation does 
things their way, Readpop yeah, does things sure. their way, Fanexpo does it third way, and so on and so forth. But uh, what I thought when Chicago convention ended was not only like, oh, I was full, like, oh, sure, I'm going to give benefit of the doubt. You know, there, there hardly has ever been a convention where I'm like, I'm really having a bad time. That never actually happened. And I've been too close to 80 right now, but probably. But um, I was impressed that the I don't know if you actually came across some of those people. Sunday afternoon, there were actually folks from Readpop yeah. walking around interviewing people. Yeah, uh, you and me feedback. talked to them for a yeah. while. Yeah, feedback. Direct, yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry, I'm yeah. skipping my brain. No, but okay. they, they, yeah, but they were asking for actual feedback, and they they were writing it down. It wasn't just a random, you know, let me make it look like I'm doing something. No, there was a genuine uh, request for feedback that was taken down. That was it was it looked very serious. I was like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they will adjust the formula a little bit because right. certain things. Again, I'm repeating myself, but they do not work with the way the Star Trek fandom works in yep. the, the convention. And then, and so I wonder what happened. Like, was it some sort of a, a much higher level decision that did not involve people? It's like specific team that that deals with Star Trek brand at Readpop. Uh, I, you know, I doubted that they would be the ones to kind of say like, yeah, we're really not ready. Let's skip a year. You know, it has to be somebody higher up saying, yeah, we need to either not do this or wait a bit and see what, what we, we can run with. Because if you notice, like if you've been to multiple Readpop events, they all very formulaic in the way they set them up. Like if you look, if you looked at the description of the tickets, for example, for ticket uh, for um, Star Trek Chicago this year, it was exact same boilerplate as they had for Florida Supercon. Yeah. Like identical down to like every word and period and comma. So, you know, obviously you have to perhaps, you know, put a little bit more in terms of like, let's modify it a little bit. Like Destination. Destination was a modified version of the Comic-Con. They had their own issues and I have my own thoughts why they got canceled. I don't kind of, unless we hear something specific which I doubt. I think that there were additional forces at play there. But with this one, I I would love to. I would love to, like something. Give us a snippet. Like explain yourselves. You know, it just so, you know, even though like we've had six months of silence, nevertheless, it almost comes across like, well, great. Now what? Yeah, right, right. You care so little about us that you that your explanation, your entire announcement and explanation fits into the length of one tweet, yeah. right? Like, we got 280 characters worth of consideration from the powers that be at Reed Pop and at Paramount about the future of official Star Trek conventions. Like, just take that by itself, right? Like, that sucks. And, like, why do we then owe them anything going forward if that's how they treat us? Like, I, I hate doing this, right? I, I hate doing episodes where I have nothing good to say about the companies and the licensees associated with Star Trek. But like, this is terrible. This is an awful way to treat the fan community. And just, it was handled so badly from start to finish, combined together with then the cancellation of the Destination Star Trek conventions over in Europe, which again, say whatever you want to about Showmasters, and there's so much that people can and have said about their events, which I never got the chance to go to. But like, what a damning pattern of behavior this year in terms of live events and how unimportant they apparently are to the companies involved and potentially to Paramount as well, when they have been such an important part of the Star Trek fan community now for 50 some years. It yeah. just it just boggles my mind. Yeah, and you know something I've been thinking is that there most definitely is a disconnect between, you know, all the involvement and well, first of all, for all the output. You know, we have five productions on at the moment and with additional at least two probably coming along at some point in the future. So things are happening. We have stuff, you know, being especially on social media, you know, we have this unparalleled access to to uh, the creative staff who communicate with the fans, you know, and once actually all of this kind of trickles into physical space at, at the convention, you get the same thing, this ama amazing back and forth, this feedback between the, the community, the fan community and, and the creatives. And then, but the organization of the event itself seems to be completely disconnected. It's like, I almost wish that the creatives had some sort of like say in how, what happens with, with the conventions, how it all set up, yeah. but it's all completely disconnected. Somebody else is in it and evidently not even aware, which, you know, as an example, the issues of hosting during Star Trek Chicago convention, where people went, this was 
really, really odd. <laughs> yeah, right. somebody, somebody must have attended the Star Trek convention before to see how it works. So it's it's this disconnect. I think that's what the trouble is. And again, I just want to know, I would like to know what's going on because it just seems illogical. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the perfect word. It seems illogical seeing how much is actually going on in a very productive franchise that Star Trek has become over the last decade to, you know, kind of not having a physical outlet for it in the form of some sort of event. I, I don't know. I just, uh, again, everything I can come up with is just, just completely half-assed guesses to what could have possibly been. I'm sure there are wrinkles we're not even aware of. Oh, most definitely. But at least somebody to take care, sit down and at least write out not an ambiguous thing, but just say, we're trying to work this out. You know, right. we're having issues and we'll get back to you. But yeah. Or commit to the future of it, right? Like for me, whatever happened to 2023 Mission Seattle happened, right? The litany of potential reasons that people have raised ranging from the section of the convention center they were going to use is not finished because of a strike from the concrete makers union and therefore it's not going to be ready in time and so the convention can't happen to it's a holiday weekend and nobody wants to travel to uh, they didn't make enough money out of mission chicago and therefore it just doesn't make the math work for mission seattle paramount doesn't want to do it anymore they canceled destination star trek so now they're canceling this one too and they're getting out of the live events business full stop right like all of those reasons whatever but the fact that it's just like, no, the 2023 Mission Seattle convention isn't happening. And no, we're not willing to tell you what the kind of like future of live events, Star Trek official live events is going to be, is the part that really gets me, right? If it had just been like, sorry, 2023 didn't happen. We'll see you in 2024. You know, like, great. Okay. Give me something to, you know, something to look forward to. But the fact that it's just like 2023 isn't happening. Sorry about that. It's just like, again, it's just, it's so disrespectful to us and the fact that they probably are going to come back and ask for our money. And I don't want to give it to them now because I feel like I'm being taken for a ride. Well, let's see what they come up with. You know, let's let's cross the bridge when we got the planks, because at this point, I'm not quite sure what exactly is they looking for in terms of what this, you know, ideal premiere event uh, for official license is supposed to look like. Because so far we've had several tries and it's obvious that there is something particular that the powers that be had in mind. And they obviously haven't achieved it. And I'm sure there have been plenty of reasons why it hasn't been achieved. I mean, in the case of Chicago, there was a lot of potential. And yeah, the, the convention was not very full, primarily because it was one of the very first in-person events coming out of all the restrictions right. that we had after yeah. the pandemic. So, uh, you know, of course, stuff wasn't happening uh, right. the way it would be if it were like in 2000, I don't know, 17. 16, you know, especially in the middle of 50th anniversary. But then again, look at New York, Mission New York. There, were, There's a lot to say about that one. And it has been said about <laughs> things did not work out entirely perfectly there as well. But but bottom line is, it's just, I don't know. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to sit back. I have enough, enough experience with the conventions and I want to see what, what they will come up with, you know, and then just stay back with caution and just see what they offer. I go every year to New York Comic Con. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have plenty of experience of the specifically read pop approach to how they do conventions. Now, granted, New York Comic Con is a very much in class of its own, given its size and very specific ticketing requirements and so on and so forth. But, you know, they can put on a huge event. They can put on an event, period. So I'd love to know what the heck happened. And I'd love to know if they are capable of reworking their formula in order to come up with a Star Trek event that would, you know, perhaps not perhaps not 100% please everyone, but at least would be indeed, uh, indeed, you know, a premiere event, something representing the franchise properly. Well, at this point, I just could, we'll see. I honestly don't know. I just like I it's sort of like everything just dropped this week, you know, besides the things that are going on in our social media sphere <laughs> that affects most most of the fans online. But it just it's been sort of a strange week where it's like this feeling of emptiness. I am looking forward to other things that we still have. I mean, STLV is uh, is still the biggest event for me. So I'm most certainly yeah. looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the Star Trek cruises I already mentioned. So that's going to be the two sort of like hanging points for my my next year convention going experience. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, we'll see everybody in Vegas next year, right? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you which... know, like, at this point, Vegas is Vegas. Like, it cannot be compared. The fact of the matter is like, yeah, Bally's did not work. It kind of, it, you could feel it ruined the, the atmosphere. Yeah. But uh, STLV is, is uh, you know, it's a fixture. You, whether it's, you call it official on the I mean, it was a Star Trek convention for how many years before it became the official with, with the whole title and everything, you know. 
we're still going to celebrate Star Trek as we always do for the whole weekend. All right, let's put that story to bed and move on. <clears throat> Mission Seattle, bye-bye. <laughs> Well, Star Trek Prodigy head writer Aaron Waltke gave an interview to TrekCore this past week about his recent Prodigy episode, All the World's a Stage, and other elements of the back half of the show's first season. About the origin of All the World's a Stage, Prodigy's latest meta-episode, Waltke said this, Whenever we sort of brainstorm high-concept ideas for Star Trek Prodigy, we always sort of have this wish list of fun stuff we want to see. And you know, one of them was, of course, the TOS sort of cultural contamination episode, probably best represented by episodes like A Piece of the Action, where they left a dime-store gangster novel behind on another planet, and then somehow, fast forward a hundred years, the entire world is like 1930s Chicago. So we have that sort of floating in the back of our head, and then we would have sort of a brainstorming sessions that we call blue sky brainstorming where we would all just sort of come up with one-off ideas. Deandra Pendleton Thompson, one of our staff writers, just wrote the phrase on the board, all the world's a stage because she comes from a theatrical background and then she wrote, they arrive on a planet and they're acting out captain's logs. My imagination was immediately piqued by that because I was like, first of all all the world's a stage sounds like a TOS episode with their penchant for Shakespeare then also the wheel started turning in my head like, well how do they get a hold of these logs, and then it spun out from there and slowly built to the idea similar to how Kobayashi didn't start with bringing back a bunch of cameo characters, it started with the idea of putting Dal through the Kobayashi Maru. And of how they chose Ensign Garavik to be the unfortunate Ensign, Waltke said, quote, As we were kind of chalking out who would stick around to teach them enough about Starfleet, but then ultimately be left there, we thought that a red shirt would be the right choice, and we started talking about which TOS red shirt would fit the bill. Somebody brought up that it could be Ensign Garavik, who was a really interesting character. He's one of the few background characters that had a full sort of arc to themselves. Obsession was like a Kirk Garavik episode, and you're almost ready for him to like sit down next to Chekhov and join the bridge crew at the end and then he was never seen again. And so it just felt deeply appropriate. The other bit of kismet was that Garavik might be one of the few minor red shirts to have ever survived an away mission, but then he disappeared afterwards. What happened to him? Did he die after all? And so whether you call that the final destination or what for red shirts, I think that I wanted to give him sort of a heroic ending uh, where you got the sense that maybe a little bit of Kirk did rub off on him after all post-obsession. And looking ahead to this past week's episode, Walkie talked a little bit about the decision to evolve the character of Murph. Quote, we don't know much about melanoid slime worms. The reason we thought to have Murph go through his own metamorphosis was that he, like the rest of them, is growing through changes and growing up, Waltke said. I suppose it was a kid-friendly way to deal with puberty, among other things. We want the characters to grow and change with our audiences. They're growing up. You'll see how Murph continues to evolve, not just physically, but as a member of the crew. Marina... How much have you been enjoying the last few episodes of Star Trek Prodigy? Well, first of all, I suppose I can say that it's not entirely truthful to say that I'm not like excited about something. The one exciting Star Trek thing that has been part of my life over the last couple of weeks is most definitely Prodigy. Hell it's the yeah. one thing that quite literally, it just makes me happy. You know, and it's like without going into kind of any deep analysis or picking out the favorite, you know, fan service moments, it's just that like you watch it and after that, it's just this wonderful warmth inside because the the, the Hageman brothers and Aaron Waltke have truly produced a masterpiece in every imagine, imaginable way. Literally, it's like, I'm, I'm looking forward to what are they going to come up with next? I mean, this past one, Crossroads, that it just, like, there's so many, like, little things. It just all falls into place and it's beautiful. So, yeah, Prodigy makes me genuinely happy. So, and in this case, yeah, it was fantastic. I really enjoy when Aaron, well, obviously when he does actual interviews, it's, it's, it's always a wealth of information. I also enjoy when he replies to questions from either fans or like podcasters and, and other websites on, on Twitter. That's always exciting because all the little bits and pieces pop up and he just explains things and it just it literally he just grows the franchise whereas he grows the canon you know as of this recording the most recent thing I'm sure you know make sure to check out while Twitter is still there is a wonderful uh, back and forth he and uh, also David Mack had with Trek Movie earlier today discussing uh, certain things from Crossroads it's, it's it's just marvelous so yeah as far as uh, this particular uh, you know what I know that this they obviously they wanted to pick up the original series but there was also other like immediately I was thinking about Muse because there was from yeah, Voyager sure. immediately I thought about you know as far as corrupting the society by you know when something stays behind or in this case I, I immediately thought about friendship one actually yeah you know when absolutely uh, again, Voyager. so it's 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 amazing how it all kind of fits it's a new way of doing basically the type of story that we've had before when the federation slash starfleet accidentally 
you know, does something to expose themselves to, to leave something, to send something to that something that basically quote unquote corrupts the, the, the undeveloped society or, you know, pre-warp society. It, it's exciting. I, and I'm amazed that they managed to fit it all in like literally 20, 30 minute chunks. It's, it's a form of art, I think, the way they managed to do it. And I loved this past week's episode crossroads i thought it was so good it was so wonderful to get like you know admiral janeway versus the protostar and some of that like seeing some of those shots from the trailer of the dauntless mm-hmm. facing off against the protostar like that was just all so cool do you know something that was funny thing somebody posted and i forget which platform did that moment when dauntless you know you know you, you see it behind and you realize yes. how tiny protostars yes and it's exactly like i saw the picture i'm like oh my god that's it like i i did not realize that but i was Oh, is it Finding Nemo? By the same thing. No, it is the moment when in Finding Nemo, when yeah. Bru- Bruce the Sharks. Incidentally, and it's it's I, probably something that I maybe I should tweet at Aaron. Maybe he will reply. I'm curious why they keep always saying Vice Admiral Janeway. And she, I think at some point says, I prefer Vice Admiral. That's, you know, like in, in yeah. terms of like informal, when you address and somebody that who has the Admiral bit in there, yep. unless I'm mistaken, please, folks who served in the Navy, please correct me. But I believe you only would use Vice, Vice Admiral in a very formal address situation. Otherwise, it would be just like, you know, Lieutenant Junior Grade, Lieutenant Senior Grade, you just say Lieutenant, you know, Lieutenant Commander, Commander, you just say Commander. And same thing with Admirals, Rear Admiral, Vice Admiral, Full Admiral, uh, except for Fleet Admiral, I think. But you just address them as admiral. Meanwhile, they were just so very specific. Like, you know, she's the vice admiral. Yeah. (laughs) Do not step over that line. Yeah. I'm just really loving this season. I'm a little on the fence about the Murph redesign, but hey, change is hard and difficult. And yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. They they, they (laughs) had to do it sort of like when kids would go, oh, no. And then I was like, well, yeah, things change. You're going to change. Yes. Uh, So I'm I'm still in love with Murph the way it is. I mean, I I will treasure my plushy Murph I got at New York Comic Con for, you know, forever. (laughs) I'm actually curious if they will now have to do a modified plushie because (laughs) Murph has changed. Is that the reason we still haven't had the uh, the other one released? So yeah, we'll we'll see what's good. I'm actually curious. Like, well, what if if he changes every ten episodes? Prodigies going to be like a full adult with like yeah, right. Just like little purple spots remaining around the ears or something. (laughs) But probably still speaking in the same language. Oh, too much fun. Too much fun. Yeah, Prodigy is the light. Oh, it sure is. It is It is the light in a now cold and dark winter. <laughs> kind of like to tie, tie into this whole thing that they keep, you know, like all this information that keeps popping up online. I love this thing that they've done on Instagram with Kate Mulgrew recording a Vice Admiral's logs. Yes. Where it's like somebody actually, they're like, oh, yeah, they're just doing this thing. It's like the Linus with his popcorn and everything. And meanwhile, Aaron's like, I wrote this. It ties in into what's going on, and it's like it's it's part of like I, mean, I hate saying this, but it's part of the canon. But bottom line is, it actually it does like it's what you know it relates to whatever's actually going on in the given episode. It's marvelous. Yeah, it's great, and it's it and it's nice because it sort of you know gives us some of those more kind of in-depth canon connections that the show, because it's a kid's show, you know, sometimes doesn't go into, right? Like the first one where she references that the Dauntless was designed by Balana, right? Yeah. Like something that's, that's right. yes. unlikely to come up in an episode unless Balana appears, but it's something yeah. that's perfect for that kind of behind the scenes detail. All, all the little digs when she's like, honestly, who can, who can drink tea from the replicator? And people are like, oh, burn, burn on the card. <laughs> Oh, it's just too funny. Yeah, but it's I, I love the way they approach everything. It's all very wholesome and very comprehensive. It's like no no stone turned. I'm sure they would put out even more if they could. Well, get your wallets ready if you want to own a screen-used prop or costume from Star Trek Picard's first and second season. The auction of screen-used pieces by Prop Store, which was announced earlier this year, has started and will run from today through November the 29th. In total, 303 lots are being offered from Star Trek Picard, ranging from Picard's Confederation Timeline Com Badge to Number One's Dog Tag. Like the Discovery auction before it, this is expected to get expensive, so be prepared to temper your expectations accordingly if you are planning to bid. Marina, did you have any favourite pieces that you saw when you were looking through the selection on offer? Yes. First and foremost, and it's actually not Picard-related, but uh, and this is not the first time I've seen, uh, well, not specifically one of these, but just as a category of an item, uh, Nemo's camera. Yes. It's several 
have come up in auctions previously and it's just amazing like we all know that he was a great photographer yep and here's an, an opportunity to actually have one of his tools if you will and of course the fact that it's something that was donated by the family and it's something that the, the proceeds will actually go to support COPD research so that is probably the, the one thing that I was looking at the most although it's unfortunately beyond what I can probably afford um, <laughs> I think it's already up to five thousand dollars yeah I'm not surprised in the auction <laughs> Completely not surprising. Out of the specifically Picard ones, mm, I think it's it, it's still the the painting. You know, I've seen a yep. version of it. I don't know if it's the same one that they had on display in 2020 on board of the cruise, painting the daughter that Data did of his children, if you will, because the Dodge and Soji basically look the same. It's just it's beautiful. I, I love the fact that they got an actual artist to paint an actual painting. It's just beautiful. Ties in ties ties TNG and Picard very nicely together, I feel. So um yeah, I, I do like how some of the com badges look, but at the same time it kind of like I don't know, do you find it a little bit odd? Like normally we come across prop auctions that have Star Trek costumes or you know any kind of pieces, props, and it's almost always something that's like, yeah, this is from, you know, 1987 this is from mid 90s this is you know something that has a history meanwhile this is all almost like this is brand new (laughs) it literally Ah, they just used it a couple of years ago and here it is you get it it just feels a little bit kind of almost uh, unusual. I don't yeah, know. it's it's happening more and more. And Star Trek kind of started it, right? When in beginning in 2006 with the Christie's auction, and then from 2007 through 2010 with the It's a Wrap auction, selling off, you know, the sort of giant warehouse of props and costumes from the Berman yeah. era. And then since then, like studios have seen that there's something that can be monetized there and have been kind of, you know, doing that by, hey, it costs us too much money to store it. So we're going to sell it all off. And like, yeah, they did it with Discovery season one and two, and now they're doing it with Picard. And I'm sure they'll do it with Strange New Worlds once that's over with. And I guess they'll probably do it for Picard season three once that's over with. Yeah, it just, it feels like it speeds up. So there is a certain- Yes, it sure does. It it lacks, I don't know, historicity to it. I don't know if there's a word to it. Yeah, because like, you know, you look at a lot of things that- store my goodness i love the videos that adam savage usually puts out on on the tested youtube channel with like he goes to a prop store and just checks out and every once in a while something pops up that's like you can only you know call it iconic because it's something that has been out there for some time and you know probably people haven't really seen it and in this case it's like it's almost like yeah i just literally saw that episode two years ago and <laughs> yeah. here, here, here it is yeah there's some cool stuff there's um there's some badges and a bunch of costumes a bunch of starfleet season one picard costumes you can get the chairs from 10 forward from the opening mm-hmm. scene of remembrance which like i obviously don't have room for a giant chair like that but i just find myself like strangely <laughs> compelled by the idea of having a 10 forward chair in my house <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of other stuff, right? Like Rios's soccer ball from the season finale of season one, a bunch of like Chateau Picard type stuff, the Promelian battle cruiser in a bottle that was in Picard's study in, in season two, some phases, some other like costumes, Q costumes, season two Confederation costumes. So there, yeah, it's a bunch of fun stuff here. It, it's a little underwhelming compared to the Discovery season one and two auction. There are not quite as many like truly iconic primo pieces as that one had, right? Like that one had like Michael Burnham's and Gabriel Lorca's and a bunch of like iconic characters. And there are some kind of, you know, decent costumes here, certainly a decent number of Picards, uh, but mostly not like the most famous costumes from the season. They seem to have kind of held back some of those and i have a theory about kind of what's not in this auction and what that means for future star trek but i'm going to hold that for the end <laughs> so what what is your favorite i'm just curious my favorite so i, I it, for some reason it's the, it's these 10 forward chairs i i'm just like i i i want one i'm not going to buy one because uh it probably cost a huge amount of money to ship across it, the country try it throw your head into the ring even though i know it's like, Seeing the results of the several, well, at least let's take this year, uh, you know, the several auctions where we had some pretty amazing stuff come up. I'm like, I, I will, I will, I'm going to bid it. You know, so there was one auction. I'm almost positive that that was Prop Store and uh, earlier in the year, I think early summer. And I was ready with my finger, you know, like ready to yep. to put bid click the bid now button and you know i'm sure you can guess it was <laughs> it was a captain janeway uniform sure uh, the one that went yep. for like 30 grand or something <laughs> and literally like in those milliseconds that i was aiming to hit the bid now button <laughs> number quadruple to the point i'm like I, I don't have that much money on all my cards 
Yeah. So, yeah, but it's fun to watch. I mean, on one hand, I suppose that sort of represents the, again, a, a form of mainstream appreciation of the yep. franchise. On the other hand, of course, your, you know, your average fan most certainly cannot afford something like this. No. Uh, we can just, you know, look in look on in envy <laughs> yes and look on in envy we shall though i might i might try and bidding on one or two things but i'm not going to say them out loud here on weekly trek because uh i don't want anybody bidding against me all right <laughs> well and lastly this week free streamer pluto tv have expanded their star trek offerings supplementing the existing channel that plays reruns of the next generation and some of the more recent shows like discovery and picard with a new channel entitled more star trek which will also include the original series and deep space nine no word yet on whether and how Voyager and Enterprise will make it to Pluto TV to round out the complete legacy Star Trek shows on the streaming service. Pluto TV is free, but it is ad-supported, so keep that in mind as you enjoy watching a wide selection of Star Trek content. Marina, have you ever watched the Pluto TV's Star Trek channel? No, I actually have to admit, I'm I'm awful in that way. It's like, I'm yeah, aware of its existence. Yeah, me too, right. But I, I realize that I, I watch extremely little TV these days, and I don't know if that's sort of something that came out out of pandemic because I suddenly discovered that not only I I watched very little. I mean, it's mostly actually <laughs> probably track, but I lost the ability to binge. <laughs> so go figure. But it, it is exciting that they keep doing this. I'm I'm actually curious. Like, what if they decide to add, uh, let's say, Enterprise and Voyager to the mix? Are they going to do like more and more Star Trek channels? <laughs> like, yeah, right. on, Star Trek channel number twenty three. Which I'm all for it. The more Star Trek, the, the, you know, we, we kind of have to continue the paradigm that anytime somewhere in the world Star Trek is on, and now considering that it's in the form of streaming, most certainly. On. So yeah, good, good, good on Pluto. Keep doing this. And I, I'm sure a lot of people who don't necessarily own physical media or don't have streaming channels, you know, the, the ones like, like Paramount Plus or anything, it certainly gives them ability to watch at least the legacy series continuously. So that's that's a wonderful thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's a fun way to watch Star Trek, right? Like A, it's free. B, it's, you know, got most of it. And C, it's just like a fun way of... Uh, just, you know, if you don't know what you want to watch, you just know you want to watch Star Trek and you don't want to have to go through the decision making process of choosing what to watch yourself. It's just a fun way of watching Star Trek, right? Yeah. Just put it on and whatever's on is on and, you know, and yeah. then the next episode is whatever the next episode will be and you yeah. just go with the flow. That's exactly it. And the thing is that Trek still has it, that thing where, you know, if the television is on, you pass by and you see Trek is on. You're like, oh, okay. And you sit down and you watch. It has that sort of like this Trek viewer effect, if you will. I mean, they, they had uh, uh, on board, you know, speaking of the cruise, they actually, they would put on like little custom channels where, you know, one channel would be showing all TNG yeah. and one channel would be showing all DS9 and so yeah. forth. That's cool. And it's like they actually had stuff on repeat. So it's like if you watched, uh, I don't know, Encounter at Farpoint on, on uh, I don't know, Thursday, yep. chances are they're going to be on again, you know, like in 12 hours you know, on Friday. <laughs> okay. So yeah. that's that sort of thing. But regardless, you know, like you would turn it on, like I, I caught they were showing uh, First Contact for some, you know, and so middle of Caribbean, my sister and I are sitting in our room eating fries and watching First Contact. Go. Ugh, love that. <laughs> All right, well, we've talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain, but it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guest and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Marina, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Wish. So well, since we're already, you know, spoke so, so many but We wish for an about... official Star Trek convention. Uh, well, that is one thing. But you know what? At this point, I'm just, I'm seriously, I am kind of, uh, I'm pulling back and I'm waiting just to see what, yep. like, we'll go whenever somebody has something. I am glad that I have the foundation in, in Vegas because that has been my cornerstone for the past well starting with from 2010 so more than more than a decade of my life so i'm glad that it's there <laughs> thank goodness everything else i'm just gonna take it as it comes and i like again i want to see what you know if when somebody's gonna say something and uh, you know make decisions based on whatever information is going to be available at the time. As as far as the, you know, that sort of thing, I do have a wish. So Prodigy is wonderful. I lo I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I actually, w my wish is just to see what the heck is going on with Chakotay. Because I, it's sort of like, obviously, everything is being pushed by yep. Vice Admiral's desire 
to you know to find him yep so we know it's out there we know that robert beltran recorded a whole lot of stuff for this thing at least he implied that that he worked on on uh, you know more than one episode so what's going on out there are we gonna is, is, is it gonna be actually resolved by the end of season one or is it gonna continue on this the arc is gonna go on into season two uh Something I would, you know, my wish is just to see, like give us a snippet, something like you know, a, a flashback, him doing something, or perhaps you know, a, a cut to what he's actually up to. Is he being held captive somewhere? Is he did he get time travel? Is he in the future now? I don't know. A little bit, something. I feel like I don't know if the Chakotay story is going to be resolved by the end of this season. In fact, I feel like I heard Kevin and Dan Hagerman say that it it wouldn't be, but I do feel like they probably will take a. A big step forward you know and certainly the last episode of the season is going to directly tie into the Chakotay thing right it feels like it yeah. just has to it's been such an undercurrent for the whole season so far so even if we don't find him I think we will at least know where he is and what has happened to him I certainly hope so. I'm just amazed at how, like, the more you think about it, you know, from going back to when everybody was like, so I thought that was going to be just a children's child's cartoon, but just how amazingly layered the show is with like everything between, you know, the characters that we know, the legacy stuff that's going yeah. on to brand new things to tying in all the little bits and pieces from the past, from the future. And it's all, it's, it, it, it's just amazing. I love Prodigy so much. All right. Let me give you my theory, which uh, comes back to the prop store auction. Ooh. and uh, But it doesn't really have to do with the auction itself. It's, it's more about what's not in the auction than what is. Oh, yeah. And that's that my theory is that the fact that there are no season two or three Starfleet uniforms, any of them, and there are no actual production-made, screen-used Picard-era comm badges or rank pips that were included in the auction, says to me that a sequel subsequent also set in the same time frame 25th century show is at least under consideration oh i like that because if it wasn't you would have just sold all that stuff right uh, do, they're done no, with filming no question for you do you yes. think it's in the form of uh, another series or potentially a movie could did be you either see, did you see the most recent interview with frakes yes and the, the implications that like he kind of referenced to something what patrick said during the star trek yeah. universe panel it all kind of like i'm like mm, are there talks yeah because i mean they were they were very open and teasing about the stuff as far as janeway's return to live action. right it's almost like i'm like well they're like you know a step away from just saying yes yes but yeah yeah so i'm like i'm like what is it all kind of ties in are they yeah. gonna pull in like multiple tng era legacy characters and have a go at a movie how about that now it's possible that they are planning a second picard auction right after season three is aired sell off all the main character you know a a Riker, a Troy, yeah. a this, a that, a the other, right? Like big, like, you know, big sort of costumes, big props, and that all that stuff will then come then. But it's over now, and it's a season one and it's a season two auction. And notably, there's just, right, with the exception of a stunt Admiral Picard and a Starfleet Cadets uniform, that's the only season two uniforms you have. And the badges in the Discovery auction were far and away the most valuable sellers in terms of the amount of money they spent for for what you actually got for it right like yes there yeah. were other right the, the captain pike costume sold for like fifty thousand dollars but the badge sold for almost twenty thousand dollars right and like that's a tiny little badge and yet all of the badges that are in this auction, with the exception of the flashback stuff, right? They've got, you mm -hmm. know, TNG era badge and a Voyager era badge and Confederation timeline badges, but they don't have any of the 25th century Picard era com badges. The only ones they have are ones that are attached to the costumes and they're specifically noted as having been made after the show just to pair with the costume. They did not have sort of a connection to, they were made by the production, but they were not for the production. Auction. They were for the auction. And like, that makes sense, right? Like you hold on to things that you want to use again, and you don't give away things that you want to use again. And yeah. so the fact that there's really nothing from season two or even season three Starfleet, there is one season three item that snuck in, which is the 
first contact error phase of that. Actually, I guess that probably could have came from Picard's office. But the the fact that there are none of these badges, none of these rank pips, none of these things that if you were going to do another Starfleet something in that time period, you would want to have tells me that it doesn't tell me it's going to happen. It doesn't tell me that, you know, they secretly are working on an, on the successor show to Picard and like any of that. I, I firmly believe that they are still in the talking phase about it and like figuring out what comes after Picard as the sort of fifth show on the slate. But mm-hmm. If you thought there was a world in which you were going to need it, you would hold on to it. And it looks to me like they think there's a world in which they're going to need it. So they're holding on to it. And that is very exciting. Yes, it is. And um, I, I I love this theory. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that some version of it, it will actually see the light of day. It's it's a great theory. Because <laughs> it's just like, it, it feels like if they were really done with this time period completely, there were m- many more iconic pieces that you could have included in this auction. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they didn't tells me that Paramount has a reason to hang on to him. Well, we'll see. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek, for as long as Twitter exists, or email them to me at Weekly Trek at the Transmissions.com, and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Marina Kravchuk, for joining me today. Marina, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Thank you, first of all. Thank you so much for having me. This has been... Uh, well, uh, mostly fun, <laughs> but no, it's always great to to talk things over. You know, talk 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 track. You can find me uh, online. Well, uh, primarily on Facebook, actually, under my full name. Uh, I'm one of the admins for uh, the Star Trek Convention Experiences Group, which thankfully is is it's a little bit quiet right now, but I'm sure it's awaiting its boom as we move on into the next year. Uh, my little side project with the unofficial missions group is obviously right now hanging in the air. We shall see what's going to happen there. And of course, uh, my friend Jesse Okendo and I, you know, do our little show, the Shortly If You Start Your Convention <laughs> podcast, which at the moment is is also in limbo as we kind of reach the point where things tend to be quiet, but we hope that we're going to pick up as we get closer to the Star Trek cruise. Um, you can also find me on Twitter again for as long as it's there, as you said, at Dracorex, D-R-A-K-K-O-R-E-X. As a matter of fact, I use this handle pretty much everywhere such as Instagram. And uh, that's a first, actually. I am also now on Mastodon, even though I haven't posted there yet. I'm sort of just trying to figure this platform out yet. So same same handle, TrackerX. And the server is mastodon.phrase.com. And phrase is F-R-A-I-Z-E. And that's, of course, uh, the server of the wonderful John from uh, Star Trek Unlimited. So uh, we'll see you out there. I mean, social media is not going anywhere. If uh, not Twitter, something else will pop up. But I sincerely hope that things will get better. Perhaps, you know, too naively, but we shall see. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet i hope you will turn to trekcore.com well thank you marina thank you to all of my listeners and until next week live long and prosper keep tracking everyone